But in regards to discipleship, Acts chapter 2, you know, Anna was talking about having a vision for your life. Can you all hear me okay? Having a vision for your life. And as she was talking, as she was sharing, you know, we always make our resolutions and we do, you know, everybody does all these things for the start of the year. Even us, we have a start your year right and we have a focus on and an emphasis on starting your year right and making plans and Here's what I would like for us to do, though. If there was anything that I could say to our church, if there was anything that I could stress or emphasize to everyone in our congregation, is this idea and this emphasis of discipleship. Jesus said himself, go and make disciples. He didn't go and say make converts. He didn't just say go. He said go and make disciples, teaching them all I have commanded you. And so the emphasis there is for us to individually go and disciple others. And not just disciple others, but to continue to be discipled. Our discipleship journey doesn't end just because we prayed a prayer at the altar. That begins our discipleship journey. It begins this process of teaching and growing and learning. Discipleship is becoming a follower and becoming someone who is transformed into the image of the person you're following. And so as we follow Christ, He's transforming us, He's changing us, and He puts people in our lives who will challenge us. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. He'll put people in our lives who will challenge us and, and, and press those buttons that you don't want pressed and will cause those things to bubble up out of you. And that's not a bad thing. How many in this room have issues? Every single one of us do, right? We all have issues. There's all areas, all of us have areas of our lives where we have to say, Lord, transform me. Lord, change me. Now, husbands, stop poking your wives when we start talking about issues. I saw that. <laughs> She's perfect, right? So we all have areas that we need to be changed and transformed in. That's discipleship. It's this process of learning and growing and being changed and transformed into the image of the one we're following. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 37, of course, we, we know that the beginning part of Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaches. They receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up and he preaches, and he's in the middle of preaching, and Thousands get born again, and now they have all of these converts. They have all of these people. Can you imagine 3,000 men, and then you may have their wives and kids in the mix. You may have six to 10,000 people at one time who have made a decision to follow Christ on this day. Can you imagine, what are you going to do? This church is just beginning. What are you going to do with six to 10,000 converts? What do you do with those people? How do you disciple them? How do they grow? And then Peter starts telling them about, and you'll receive the promise of the Father, that you can receive this gift of the Holy Spirit yourself. So not only are they getting uh, born again, but they're also getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have to remember that there was no difference for the people in the, in the New Testament church in the book of Acts, they didn't make this great distinction like we do in, in church today that we have our salvation group over here, we have our baptism in the Holy Spirit group, we have our, we have our Baptist group, and we have our Pentecostal group. There wasn't that at the New Testament. That was not existent in the book of Acts. It was, have you been born again and have you received since you believed? That was the apostles' message everywhere they went. Somewhere along the way, we've diluted it down and, and got diverted on 
craziness. But the, but the core of what was happening here is that they were saying to them, be born again and receive. What do you do when 6,000 people all of a sudden, plus your 120, start praying in tongues? Now that creates quite an upheaval. I mean, think about what that does in our day. Think about the upheaval that that creates just in our generation. People have never seen it. They've never experienced it. They've never been taught why or what it's about or what, you know, and they come into a service or to a meeting and people are praying in tongues. What is going on? You know, what is this all about? The Bible says it's a sign to the unbeliever, you know? So it's not something that necessarily scares people off. It becomes a sign that attracts them in. They, they know the real when they see the real. They see that there's something different, and it draws them in. But, but you have 6,000 people that are doing this. What do you do with all of that? You know, can you, can you see the, the logistical issue, the nightmare here for the apostles that they're facing with all of the multitudes who are making decisions for Christ? I say, Lord, let it happen in our day. Let us, let us have the problem of a supernatural harvest and a supernatural outpouring. That's awesome. That's what we need in our day. But, but this is what happens. This is what they do as a result of this. And notice it happens naturally. I want to just point that out before we get into this. This happens naturally. Nobody has to stand up. None of the, none of the apostles, Peter didn't stand up. None of, the, none of the apostles had to stand up and say, now look, brethren, this is what you've got to do. Now that you've been born again, you've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you're speaking, you're a tongue talker like the rest of us. You bear the badge of the Pentecostal flame on your lapel. Now you can, you know, now this is what you've got to do, says the Lord. You know, there wasn't any of that. It was all natural. It all became very fluid and was the outflow of what God was doing on the inside of them. I think that's key because we can teach principles. Uh, and a lot of churches teach what, what we're about ready to read as formula. And the formulas work. I will say here in this context of small group ministry, if you take the, the context of discipleship here, the, the formulas work. But there is an element of it working naturally by the, the ability and the influence of the Holy Spirit that will make it uh, more successful and lasting and relational and, and a deeper encounter with God. And it's not just a formula. It's not just a, a rite of passage. It's not just a check on a, on a religious checklist. I'm in a small group or I'm being discipled, but it becomes part of our spiritual journey and becomes part of our spiritual life. So let's take a look at this. In verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what we were talking about. For the promise is to you, your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and he exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 
I want to take a look here at some of the elements that, that were happening as they were meeting together, as they were growing together, as discipleship and leadership was happening. First off, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, verse 42. They, con- they continued steadfastly. In the New Testament, there was a few things that happened. Uh, they would have large-scale meetings, large gatherings, much like we would do on a Sunday morning or, or a Wednesday night or, or a service, where everyone would come together, and there would be an apostle, the apostles would teach, and this, would, this could be an all-day meeting. This could be an eight-hour meeting where they would come together, and there would be teaching and ministry, laying on of hands, and word would get out about these meetings. We see this as you go through the book of, of Acts. You see that word gets out about these meetings, and everywhere the apostles go, what? There's crowds that follow because they find out where the apostles are and they want to get to them because there's power flowing through these guys and, and they want to get their, their demons cast out. They want to get their sickness healed. They want to get under the shadow. They want to get the cloth. They want to get touched by the presence and the power of God. Notice that there, the prerequisite there that we often place on people, well, you've got to be a Christian if you're going to get touched by Jesus. The prerequisite of that was not there. They just said, whosoever will come. And they came and they encountered the power of God. Now, let me say this about that. Because someone gets touched by God doesn't mean that they're born again. And I think that's important that we have to recognize as we disciple people, as we lead people, that people can have a moment of an awakening. They can be touched by God. They can have a physical response, a manifestation of sorts to God. They can fall on the floor. They can jerk, shake, laugh, cry, roll, dance, do the, do the, the, the jig with the rest of the Pentecostals and get up and be just as a heathen as they were when they went down on the floor. We're, we're, we're not born again by how quick we fall on the floor right? We're not, we're not born again by how quick we get healed of our disease. Salvation comes as an act of faith by grace alone. It's God's work on our heart and our life. And so people we see through the New Testament get touched by God, get touched by the power of God, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're born again. So it's important to know that as you disciple people, just because they seem to be responding and getting touched at an altar or, or even having an emotional response in service, doesn't mean that they're born again. It means that God's touching them and doing a work. He's drawing them in. And hopefully at some point, they're going to have an encounter with God and salvation is going to take effect in their life. They're going to get born again and have an encounter with God beyond just an emotional experience or even just a touch or maybe a healing or whatever it is that God's doing in their life. And so we have to be ready and willing to disciple people through that. So they might be at the place where they're coming in and, and, and they're getting touched. We've had this happen here. And, you know, we, we've seen this in our ministry for a long time where people will come in, uh, prostitutes, drug addicts, millionaires, you name it. They'll come in and they'll get touched by God and they'll start having an emotional response. They might respond physically. They might fall on the floor. They might cry. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're born again. And, and, and if they are, they still need to be discipled, right? It doesn't mean that they've reached the, the end of all. And so we've seen that happen. And so you have to be willing to step in. As leaders, we have to be willing to step in and say, hey, let me walk you through what godly living looks like. Just because you got born again doesn't mean that you're 
fully sanctified yet. So let's walk this process of sanctification together. So that's part of continuing in the apostles' doctrine. They have to continue in the Word of God, get in the Word of God, study the Word of God, begin to live a godly life, begin to take on the DNA and the nature of Christ in their own lives. I could give you examples, but I think you understand what I'm saying. (laughs) They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Another part of this, uh, the Greek there, is that they were preserved in or kept useful for. It means that they were kept from souring. When you sit under teaching, preaching, ministry, you are preserved useful for what it is that God's called you to do, and you are kept from souring is what what the Greek there is saying. And so as you, as you intentionally place yourself under the apostles' doctrine, as you come to church and you sit and you listen to my preaching, whether you like it or you don't like it, you just come and sit under it, it will keep you, it will preserve you, I promise, it will preserve you. You may not fully understand, this is another great thing about preaching, is you may not fully understand everything that's being said in the moment of it being preached, but sit under that because you're getting a deposit. It's almost like osmosis. There's, there's a deposit being made into your spirit, man, that there's going to come a day when the Holy Spirit's going to bring up, oh, Pastor Zach preached that, or Pastor Heather said that, or they ministered that, and it will rise up on the inside. The Holy Spirit will bring that to light in your life. And so, you need to be preserved in the teaching and the ministry of your pastor, of your apostolic leadership, of your church leadership. And you're preserved. You're kept useful. You're, you're made useful by that. You know, the, the preservation, what, what the, and you all know this, the preservation process is the application of salt, right? And so if you want to be useful, you've got to have the salt. Jesus said you are the salt of the world. You've got to have the salt applied lest you lose your saltiness. And Jesus said if you lose your saltiness, guess what they do to you? Yeah, you get thrown out. So we don't want to be thrown out. We want to continue to be disciples, and we want to be able to disciple others. We want to walk others through this process. We want them to be preserved in. The other thing, the other thought about that being kept from souring is it's really hard to get into a judgmental or gossip place of gossip when you're continually sitting under and receiving from your apostolic church leadership, your pastoral leadership. If, you're, if you are continually sitting under and, and being affected by their ministry, then it's hard to become judgmental or critical of that. And so if you find that you, you get offended or you have an offense or hurt or someone does something, whatever, then get in the preaching. <laughs> get into the preaching of the Word and allow your heart to be transformed by the preaching of the Word because it will keep you from, what, souring. <laughs> one of the greatest, or I would say not one of, the greatest Uh, weapons or attacks, whatever you want to say of the enemy in the church is it's not moral failures and it's not all these other things. It's offense. It is the greatest strategy of the enemy to divide a church. It's called offense. And so we have to do our part by being preserved in the Word of God. It's really hard to carry offense towards someone when you're in the Word of God and you're sending under 
pastoral preaching and teaching of the Word of God. It's really hard to maintain that because all of a sudden, if you're sitting there, your issues are going to be flashing right before your eyes. All of a sudden, you're going to send under preaching and teaching. And the Holy Spirit, if you're open and you're receiving, the Holy Spirit's going to start convicting you. That's not a bad thing. That's what you need. <laughs> That's what you and I need. We need to be challenged and convicted by the Holy Spirit about our issues. If you come to church every Sunday and are comfortable, there's a problem. Your, your conviction, your heart has become desensitized to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you need to sit under preaching and teaching and open up and say, Lord, come, change me. Open up and receive. That's, that's what the word there in verse 40 is that they received the word. There's a receptivity to the word of God. You're taking in the word. So we're continually, steadfastly preserved in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That word Fellowship there is the word uh, koinonia. It's, you've heard me teach this word before, but koinonia is it's the partnership. It's a marriage. It's a word to describe partnership in ministry, partnership together in marriage, partnership in fellowship. It's a commitment to one another. They continue together in fellowship, continue together as if they were married is basically what it's saying. Let me say this about church. You don't choose what church you go to. God plants you in the church. It's a marriage. It's like a marriage. God has married you and planted you and rooted you in your church. And so you have to, what do you do in a marriage to make your marriage healthy? You have to work at it. You have, it takes effort. It takes forgiveness. It takes loving one another. It takes trusting one another. All of those things have to be developed in the context of a church relationship. I know I'm preaching to the choir on a Wednesday night about this, but these are things we disciple others in. These are things that you and I have to be discipling other people in. We have to teach. You and I have to engage, not just me from the pulpit, but you in your relationships with others in the church, within the small group, care group settings, within classes, whatever it is that you're doing, however it is that you're ministering, begin to disciple people. Take them to lunch. Do something with them and disciple them through these things is absolutely critical says that they were preserved in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They were preserved in their fellowship. They partnered together in breaking of bread. Very simply, they ate together. There's nothing like having a meal together. <laughs> you know, go, go take somebody to lunch. Go take somebody to coffee. Sit down talk to them. Ask them their story. Heather and I do this all the time. We, we, we disciple our staff pastors, do the same thing. This is discipleship. Just go sit and find out the person's story. What's God speaking to you? And go with no agenda. Don't plan on saying a word. Just ask questions. So, what's God speaking to you about 2016? Oh, really? Tell me about that. Well, why do you think that is? Well, how is that going to happen? You begin to let them talk to you and tell you what God's speaking to them or what God's doing in their life. And all of a sudden, as you begin to ask those questions and lead them down this discipleship process, you haven't had to preach at them or, or prophesy to them about anything. You've just asked them questions and led them down a path of discipleship through the Word of God, through your own experience, offering your input as you go along the journey. All of a sudden, you're discipling someone. Isn't that easy? Go eat with somebody. And in prayers, the word prayers there is the word 
that they were in the Greek means that they prayed according to something. There's, there's seven different types of prayers in the Greek. This one means that they prayed according to something. Well, what do you think they were praying according to? If they were sitting under the apostles' teaching, if they were in fellowship and partnership together, they knew what people were going through, they knew what was being taught, what was being preached, what the issues that were needing to be addressed in the church or what God was saying to the church, I think their prayers probably went something like this. Lord, we thank you for what Peter told us today about what you told him, uh, you know, whatever. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to develop this character in our lives, Lord, that we would, we would be faithful. Lord, help us to be faithful disciples. Lord, show me how I can be a discipler of other people. Lord, help me be a disciple maker. Show me that's praying according to something. And so they prayed according to. It says then in verse 43, then fear came upon every soul. Everybody say every soul. Fear came upon everyone. This wasn't just people in the church. This was people outside of the church. Why did fear come upon the people? Because they saw a large group of people who were affecting their community. Not just in words, but in action. The world was being turned upside down by these people. So much so that Saul was attracted to the crowds. He was attracted to what was happening there. And so it's important to know that as believers, we don't just come to church and check our checklist. You know, you all have heard me say this all the time. There's a reason for that because that's not going to change a community. Coming to church and doing the religious rites and rituals, that's not going to change a community. What changes a community is a church that has the fullness of the power of God resident and operating out of it or through it. And that's what we need. We need Acts 1-8 to receive the power of God and allow it to flow out and that what we preach and teach becomes a reality out there, not just something that happens in here. And so I would encourage you. This is what, this is what Luke said about the apostles, that there were signs and wonders were being done. Signs Everywhere they went, signs and wonders were happening. And, and we, we see it specifically noted regarding the apostles because the apostles, this is Acts of the Apostles, but I'm sure that there, there were signs and wonders, and we note this when regards to the, the deacons in Acts 6, that they were operating in signs and wonders. So it wasn't just the, the main guys on the stage getting all the fun. It was everybody, the deacons, those who were chosen to serve and wait on the table. Stephen, one of the, the first martyr, goes and he's performing by acts of power under the influence and the power of God. There's signs and wonders happening and gets him killed, right? He's preaching and teaching and gets him killed. So the church engaged in signs and wonders, in in supernatural ministry. Here's my point to this. As a discipler and as a disciplee, on both accounts of this, as you disciple people and as you are a disciple, you should have acts of power. You should have supernatural ministry flowing through your life. That is New Testament church. That is New Testament being a New Testament believer, learning how to operate and flow in the power of God and gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's Important. It's absolutely important. What happens all of a sudden 
when someone walks in the doors at Night of Hope, or you're on the job and you're, and you're ministering to people, or whatever the case is, and someone says to you, you know, I just really have a headache, and you look at them and say, I believe Jesus can heal that headache. Oh, do you believe Jesus can heal that headache? I believe Jesus can heal that. Headache, leave in Jesus' name. And you know, we're always afraid, well, what if they don't get hold? But what if they do? <laughs> what if they do? We're always so quick to say, what if they don't? But what if they do? All of a sudden, you've got someone looking at you who you never had an opportunity or open door with before to say, my God's real. All of a sudden, looking at you saying, my headache's gone according to this Jesus you're talking about. What's all this about? You now have an open door. What if they don't get healed? They don't get healed. Keep praying for them. <laughs> it's not your reputation on the line. It's God's. He's the one that you just said is going to heal or not heal. Let him deal with his own reputation. You just, you just take a step of faith and say, I believe God can heal that. Pray for people. Walk through the open doors. Lay hands on the sick. Cast out devils. You know, it's not just what you see happen here on Sundays around the altar. This is just training ground. That you're receiving, you're getting ministered to, but what you're getting here is training ground for what ought to be happening in your own life. We do what we do in here on Sundays is a part of our normal life. When someone's sick, we lay hands. We lay hands on Zoe. We lay hands on one another. We pray for each other. We pray for people. We expect miracles to happen, right? So when I lay hands on people and I'm, and I'm led by the Spirit of God, it's not my, my, just my own doings, it's being led by the Spirit of God and flowing with God, I expect that there's signs and wonders going to happen. I expect that people are going to be touched, that they're going to feel something. That's why when, I, when I'm at night of hope walking through, and so you've probably heard me say this before, when I'm talking to people and, and I'm engaging with people and they say I need prayer or, or, or maybe they don't say I need prayer, I just offer to pray for them. I lay hands on them. I expect that when I lay hands on them, they're going to sense something. They're going to feel something. When they get done talking to me, I want them to know that there was something different in their conversation with me than someone else. I want them to sense the presence of God, the love of God. And they do. That's, you know, that's, that happens. And it needs to happen with each one of us. When's the last time you cast out a devil? <laughs> When's the last time you laid hands on a sick person? When's the last time that, that you did the things that Jesus said, these signs shall follow? Do you believe that? If you do, where are they at? Do it. You can. Well, I'm not sure how. Well, it's very simple. <laughs> It's very simple. Lay hands on them. Get your hands on them and pray for them in Jesus' name. And, and begin to take note. Watch how we minister to people around the altar. Watch how we minister to pre people. Um, you know, Pastor Bill said to me one time, he said, you know, you, you carry a unique mantle for what happens around the altar. He said, I, you know, he was talking about, you know, j just referencing people in the past and such. And and we do. I, I understand that. It is a unique mantle. But it's for everyone. It's for every believer. That mantle is available to every believer. I'm nobody special. Heather and I are nobody special. We're just born again, love Jesus. And we've decided to take Jesus at his word. We've decided to say, okay, these signs shall follow. Got it. Let's start seeing it. Okay, we lay hands on the sick. Okay, let's do this. He said, do it. Let's try it. 
I remember one of the first times I said, Lord, I want you to use me to prophesy. I want to, I want to be get used in the gifts, the prophetic gifts, some words of knowledge, words of wisdom. And one of the first times God decides to use me in this gift, I promise you, he looks, he tells, I see this guy in a service, and he says, go tell them that they're struggling with pornography. I said, Lord, I can't go tell them that they're struggling with pornography. That wrong person. He said, go tell them. I'm like, you, that's not something you just walk up to somebody and say, hey, excuse me, this is what the Lord said. <laughs> you know, how do you make that nice? So, the, you know, it's just that constant prodding. You need to go, go tell them. And, and for you, it might be something simple. God had to stretch me. I had to really get out of the boat. But for you, it might be something simple. But that's what the Lord told me, and He gave me a scripture. And I walked up to Him, and I said, you know, I just really feel like the Lord wants to set you free, that you're struggling with pornography, and I just really feel like God wants to set you free. And the tears began to flow down their face. And I said, you know what? Why don't you come with me? It was in a church service. I said, why don't you come with me to the altar, and I want to pray with you. I believe God can set you free. And I just went, and it was that simple. But, and then it's increased. It's increased to the point where I've been in services and God's giving me specific names of people to call out and, and, and have them come forward, call out names and have them call, come forward and tell them what God says about their life and being specific. I was in a service one time and there was, there was a young girl there and I, I don't even remember what her name was, but the Lord said, have her come forward. And she came down and I prophesied about how her brother had just been killed in an accident and what God was trying to do in her life. It was a very specific, I mean, there was no, I was way out of the boat on this one. I was walking on water. If, if, if it was wrong, I was way wrong. And tears be flowing down her, her brother had just been killed in an ATV or is that right, ATV accident, and all, you know, walking through that, and what God was doing in her life through, those, those are the things that God, it can be very simple, it can be very complex, but allow, just start, allow God to use you, very simply, wake up in the morning, say, God, give me a word today for somebody, go to the word, and God, give me a scripture for someone today, and then just go throughout the day, aware of God, who is this scripture for? And be willing to give it to him. God, help me, give me a divine appointment today to lay hands on someone who is sick. And then go throughout the day looking for that divine opportunity. And allow God to use you. It's awesome. Devils, they're a lot of fun. I love the demons. Let them come out all the time. Those are, you know, and we, you don't have to make a big deal. Everybody gets, you know, I always joke about the, the ectoplasm in the basement. But, um, you know, and people get really weird, you know, you got to drive, you know, name, name your demon, you know, all those crazy things. We have that, we have demons, we've had a lot of demons come out since we've been here. I don't, you know, you may not even realize it, but, but that happens when you get people into the presence of God. It happens. We've had people screaming and kicking and what, not wanting, fall, you know, falling, you know, all this weird stuff. But it happens, and they get set free, and it's awesome. I've had, I've had cra I can tell you crazy stories. I can tell you awesome stories about the presence and the power of God. Begin to walk in the signs and wonders. Just begin to step out. And you know what? Church services are a great place for that. At a Sunday morning service, scan the crowd. Lord, who would you have me minister today? And, and during worship, go over to somebody that God speaks to you. And do it in order. Don't make a scene. But go over to them and say, hey, Kathy, you know, I just really feel like the Lord was saying to me during worship that, and just tell her. And who knows? Who knows what God's going to do through that word? It just might be the exact thing that she's been waiting to hear from God for. And if you don't open your mouth, God's going to find somebody else to tell her. You might as well get in on the joy while you can. So, 
Signs and wonders were done through the apostles. And they had all things together. They, they were all things in common, all things together. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, I'm not going to stop and talk about this here because I'm going to preach on this in a couple of weeks. But, uh, but I, think this, I think this is a good point to make here is that they gave. <laughs> they gave, and they gave significantly and sacrificially. They sold their possessions and gave so that everyone, had, everyone was taken care of, that the church was taken care of. That's, that's awesome. Do you know, since we've been here, we've had people sell their homes and give off the sale of their homes? That's probably one of the things that's helped bring the church into financial stability when we first got here. That's awesome. People selling their businesses and the, and the tithe of that sustaining the church. That's supernatural. That's acts. And that's what God calls all of us to be willing to do, to give sacrificially and, and to give biblically. I'll just pause here and say this, and I'll, I'm going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but with the closeout of the end of the year, it was interesting because we always, you know, run reports just to see where we're at with giving and, and such. Everybody gets their giving statements. I had an eye-opening experience, though. I hadn't done this yet since we'd been here. This was my first time to do this. I had a very eye-opening experience and realized that only 38% of our church tithes biblically. That means 62% of our church doesn't tithe biblically. It was shocking. And then I started thinking, wow, what could we do if everybody, 100% of our people, tithed? What, what, would our, what would our budget look like? What would our abilities look like if everybody tithed biblically? And when I say biblically, I'm not talking extravagantly. I'm talking 10% on a regular basis. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Just doing the basic Bible giving. It was shocking to me. But because the reason it's shocking to me is because I've tasted a vax too. I couldn't, I couldn't live without giving. I can't live without being faithful in my tithing and my giving. Heather and I are, and I don't have a problem saying this, I don't say this boastfully, Heather and I are significant contributors in our church. And, I, and part of my tithe has to go to the Assemblies of God being an Assembly of God minister. But we're still significant contributors in the church. I don't have a problem saying that. Why? Because we've tasted of God's blessing that comes on those who give. The kids are having fun. Hallelujah. I think that was a kid. If not, it's a demon that needs to come out. We'll deal with that. <laughs> Just joking. It might be both, right? You never know. You never know. Praise him. Verse 46. So continuing. To, are you all getting something out of this tonight? I'm going to wrap this up. And everybody said amen. Verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord. Notice unity. Unity started the church. Unity continues the church. It is maintain, maintenance of unity within a church is not just the pastor's job, it's everybody's job. Let me just say that. Is that can, can I say that and everybody understand that? that? That it is everybody's job to maintain unity. If you hear someone gossiping or judging or making statements that they ought not be saying, if, if they wouldn't say that if Jesus was standing there, then they probably shouldn't be saying it. If, if, they, if they are going to have to stand, the Bible says, and give an account for every idle word that they speak, that would be classified as an idle word that they would be in danger of hell's fire over. They probably shouldn't be saying it, and you hear it. Guess what? You're part of it. If you don't stop it, you're part of the gossip. If you allow it to continue, you're part of it. That's scriptural. 
You've conti- you have added to the gossip. And so it's our, don't get mad at me, Pastor Angie, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you have a problem with gossiping, I'm sorry. <laughs> She's going to go check those demon children. Um, sorry. <laughs> So we, so we quench, we stop, we annihilate, we cut it off at the head. The Bible says that, that gossip and, and backbiting, judgmental, gossip, all of those things are like gangrene and we ought to turn, run the other way. It's true. You know, we had, we had someone, I probably shouldn't tell this story, but my, my wife's not here so she can't be my filter. Um, <laughs> we, we had someone try to create a coup in the church. And I'm not suggesting anything by this. I would just say read Acts 5. I'll preface what I'm getting ready to say and tell you to read Acts 5. But we had someone try to create a coup in the, in the church recently. This isn't old news. This is a recent issue. And, uh, of course, you know, we're, we're not, we're spiritually perceptive. We're, you know, obviously we're not unaware, but we also if things happen, we, there are people in the church who will not allow for disunity to continue. Brought it to our attention and said, hey, you know, there's a, someone's trying to start a coup and, you know, whatever it was about, they, they didn't like the color of the carpet, whatever, it didn't really, it doesn't really matter. The carpet was here long before I got here, so, I, you know, it's just like, whatever it was, it's not a big deal. But the person, uh, the same week that they tried to create a coup, broke their collarbone, ended up in the hospital, is now back in the hospital with pneumonia, has basically been in the hospital ever since they tried to create a coup. It scares the living daylights out of me. That's the reason I say that. That's Acts chapter 5. That scares the living daylights out of me to know that God doesn't mess with His church. And uh, it's important. That's why I say it's important for us that we are in one accord. For your safety, <laughs> that you're in one accord, but for the church and the benefit of reaching this community. We don't have time for that, folks. We don't have time for the issues and the pettiness. We have a world that's dying and going to hell. I don't have time to mess with what color of the carpet or the color of my shirt. We need to reach people for Jesus. I think we got that. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread. Of course, I'm preaching to the people who are here. (laughs) I got that. I recognize the crowd. But I would say the same thing to anyone else as well. Breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They weren't out to build their ministry. They weren't out. They didn't have, the disciples weren't these folks who were being born again. And I, I call it the man with the microphone syndrome. You know, they want, they want to be in front of everybody. They want to have the microphone. They want to stand up and give the message. They want to be the, do the scripture reading. They want, to, they want to be the man. They want their name and lights or the woman, you know, whatever. They want their name and lights, and they want to be the... Listen, you don't want this. It comes at a great price. And that's what it says. They did what they were doing with simplicity of heart. They were humble, and they just wanted God. That's it. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily. How do we see a harvest, a supernatural harvest? We have to allow God to begin to change us, transform us, and we become disciple makers. We become disciple makers. We step in, allow the power of God to flow through you. We step in and have fellowship with one another. We have unity with one another. We pray according to the scripture, pray according to what we're being taught Allow God to change us. Allow God to transform us. 
It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It's the same It's the same in Acts as it is today. We press into God, allow him to change us, saturate, and God will add to our church daily those who are being saved. It's awesome. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for friends tonight that are here. Lord, I pray for your blessing, your blessing on this word. Father, filter out the things that didn't need to be remembered and and bless those things that will enrich. And Lord, we just thank you for your encouragement. Lord, that, that your people will disciple. Father, that they will become disciple makers. And this year will be an extravagant year of discipleship and leadership development. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you have an offering to give, there is an offering box on your way out the door. Make sure you drop it in the offering box because we want you to give (laughs) and be faithful. You've got your reasons, but I hold yours.